Greg Davis back in with you here on Priority Talk. Of course, 5 and 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, Truth 101.1 WXJC. And uh, we're glad you're with us this evening. And we've got a really uh, great conversation ahead of us here for just the next little bit. Hope you'll stay with us as long as you possibly can or catch it later. If you have to leave us at our podcast, just look Priority Talk Radio or PriorityTalkRadio.com. You'll find us. Uh, we are uh, real happy to welcome to the program for the first time uh, Dorothy Logan uh, with Freedom Academy. And uh, she's written uh, what I think to be a really uh, outstanding book uh, called The Unraveling. And I think that's a great way to say, uh, to sort of describe our, our, our country, the American fabric undone, the unraveling Dorothy Logan with the Freedom Academy. And Dorothy, it is uh, great to have you with us today, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you for joining us here in Alabama. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's just take a moment and uh, tell everybody about yourself, since it's your first time with us, and Freedom Academy, and then we'll get into the book as well. But just give a little background so folks know where you're coming from. So I actually was, um, I taught at a Christian university for quite a long time, and there was a, a course I was introduced to there. It was called Freedom in American Society, and what I found there was that these students coming out of high school, even it was it was an upper level course. So even they've made it all the way through college, and they still don't understand what freedom is in our society and what it stands for. And what happened for me was when 2020 um, and everything that came along with 2020 yeah, sure. <laughs> um, was going was 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 going on. There was just an urgency in me to make this a broader a broader conversation because there's I believe there's so many Americans out there who don't understand where our freedom is innately from and what it means to have that freedom and what it means to live in that freedom, whether we're talking about in Christ or in, you know, American society, because teaching this course from a Christian perspective in a Christian university really laid a kind of a foundation in my head of how to best tackle that. And so with this urgency in me to get that message out in 2020, because I really saw our society crumbling around that principle of, of liberty, um, I founded Freedom Academy to, uh, in an attempt to make it a broader conversation outside of my just local um, audience of those few students. Well, outstanding. Uh, that is wonderful. And people can find you uh, freedomacademy-dorothy.com. And the, uh, the link is there, for, or you can find the book there. Uh, well, you begin the book uh, telling us uh, exactly what uh, a lot of our leaders, our p- political leaders, don't tell us, which is we don't live in a democracy. You know, everything's about our democracy is at, is at stake, and we must, but we don't even live in a democracy. Talk about it. Right. I mean, they, they tell us our democracy is under threat or we need to protect democracy when Americans really, they, they associate that with the condition to use democracy um, when we mean something different, like when, when we mean the word freedom or liberty or when, when we mean the, the way of life, the American way of life. But democracy isn't just not freedom. It's actually the opposite of freedom. It's, it's tyranny. A lot of people will say, well, we live, we don't live in a democracy, we live in a republic. And I think it's very important to say, because a lot of people 
define republic as representative democracy. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to say we live in a constitutional federal republic Mm -hmm. because all three of those words are very, very important because democracy is not the same as freedom. Majority rule or majority decision is simply a method of power allocation. Right. So that's this is it actually leads to tyranny. Uh, Our founders called it tyranny of the majority. And so this power allocation is where the majority, the method of power allocation essentially hands the majority or the people supposedly representing the majority, um, it hands them all the power and they get to decide everything. That's democracy. And if you're on the losing side, that's when they say, oh, you know, elections have consequences. And so if you're on the losing side, that means we get to tell you what to do and how to live your life because you lost. That's democracy, not freedom. It's well, not. and you, you well make the point. Maybe we are living in, in a democracy right now, but we're not supposed to be. Is that right? <laughs> right, because we want our government to tell us what to do. We want them to be—we we want them, not us necessarily, not you and me, but the society right. at large says, yes. Tell us what to do. Tell us what the right thing to do is, and and um, because we want to be on the winning side, we want to be on the side to tell the losing side that they're wrong and that we know better than them what will make them happy and how to live their lives for the greater good. Well, that that's well said. Uh, you quote the New York Daily Tribune, and I've heard this quote, but. Uh, you know, I didn't know exactly where it came from. Uh, we've been regarded as engaged in trying a great experiment involving not merely the future fate and welfare of this Western continent, but the hopes and prospects of the whole human race. That great experiment. Uh, talk to us about it, because um, I, it, our great experiment is uh, is at risk, I guess would be the better thing to say it's at risk. Yes, because, you know, we were this beacon of light to the rest of the world. That's what we were supposed to and that's what part of the great experiment was. But the experiment was doing something different, doing government differently, having a different role for government, and that would be to really take Locke at his word and try to implement um, these Lockean principles around protecting, you know, giving government enough power to protect our liberties and rights and not enough power to take them away. Yet this republic that we were handed was fit only for a religious and moral people. So you look around at current events, whether they're national or global events, but you look and, and you see the response of American society to what's going on in, in the world and in our country, and we're no longer that religious and moral people. So what we hoped would work, um, this experiment, right, in trying this different role for government, it's, it's not going to work if the people are no longer religious and moral. Now, we're a big country, and there's still pockets in our nation where there are religious and moral people, and society doesn't seem like it's falling apart all that quickly. But as reflected in the media and as reflected in government, I would say that it's pretty obvious that we no longer are that we're not represented as a religious and moral people. And so I... and. Most importantly, I actually believe as a society, we no longer value or believe in or have a vision for liberty or freedom, because instead of embracing this idea of individual liberty and individual responsibility um, that's available in a free society uh, where the government serves to protect our rights, uh, this 
you know, we instead of trying to preserve the spaces and the framework within which we can um, not just live freely, but um, solve our own problems, look to different sources of moral authority, uh, we instead want the government to be that for us. We are shouting, give us the king. Tell us what our problems are and then tell us how you're going to solve them. Mm-hmm. We're visiting with uh, Dorothy Logan, and uh, her book is The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone, freedomacademy-dorothy.com for a lot more information and to find this really outstanding book. Uh, Locke and others, and you do a really good job of going back and just saying uh, you know, where a lot of these ideas uh, came from, from Greece and uh, other you know, writers like John Locke and, and many others. But uh, it, it, that natural law idea, and that's sort of what you're talking about, is something that, uh, is that really the hub of what you're saying there? Absolutely. Natural law is the, is the center around which our entire society has been based, not just American society, but we, we've been blessed to have it codified, right, written down mm-hmm. for us. But this idea that um, natural law is at the center of what, where our freedoms come from, where our rights come from. And, um, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, very good. Well, you, you say it in the book, and I thought you, you put it very well. Uh, what about government's conscience? Has that been lost as well? Absolutely. That's why I said that. All three of those words are important, mm-hmm. right? We live in a, a constitutional federal republic. And if our government is not behaving constitutionally, that means the, con- the, the conscience of our country, of our government, is no longer being adhered to, no longer being listened to. Uh, well, I, I consider the U.S. Constitution the government's conscience, um, and that, that is referring to Plato's ethical conscience uh, in this idea of this struggle, right, between what we want in the moment, the whims of the moment, our baser selves, our lower selves, our, our baser desires, and what we really want or what's really, really good for us. And we all live as human beings in that constant struggle of what do I want in the moment or what do I want for, the, for my betterment? And our officials have more and more often um, rejected the higher self and the and in the greater good for the whims of the moment, and then they call that the common good and the greater good, even though it's their baser and lower selves. When students would hit you as, as in college, freshman, sophomore, whatever year they were, uh, did did they have any idea of these kind of concepts at all, any whatsoever? Zero. That's what that I figured. That was so scary. Yeah. Zero. Almost not even zero. Probably almost negative. Yes. <laughs> that you had to start from negative to even get them into the positive, most likely. And what what is the the cause of that? Uh, I mean, it's easy to blame the schools and say, well, we didn't have, you know, teachers that were teaching government or whatever. Um, but it's home as well, right? And church as well. Uh, where do you place, uh, you know, not not necessarily the blame, but responsibility? Well, I believe we have deprioritized ideas and concepts that have always been a high priority. We pass on our values to our children, and the more absent the parents are from the home or the less time they spend with their children, those values are going to shift and and. You're still going to pass on your values. Mm -hmm. They're going to be different than what you think they are. And not only that, we have a history of 
progress, right, coming from academia, and that has filtered down everyone who's been going uh, to university, going to school, they've been given this idea we need to make progress, and then those people away from the, the values that we, we once held dear, and those people are influenced by that education, whether they know it or not, and then they end up but many of them do know it, but then they end up in, in the newsrooms and the boardrooms and the screenwriters guild and, and mm-hmm. you, they end up in the classroom and they become professors themselves. And now it's even into public school and private school through the education of educators. And so it's kind of ubiquitous, this idea of um, what we don't want. It's not that when you say it's a negative they are actively avoiding and not teaching classical thinking and classical history and philosophy in the way that promotes um, natural law and this idea of common understanding and meaning surrounding um, our common and shared values. Yeah, I've got just another minute before we got to go to break, but let me just follow up. Uh, In your study of the, 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 the history of our nation, has the church lost its uh, footing on helping to people understand these as well? Was there, Absolutely. There was a there yeah. was a time when you even this was part of discipleship, but I don't think it is anymore. Yes, absolutely. And they they really I think they're afraid. I think of the American church has become afraid of the separation of church and state, of being on the wrong side, of of being. Um, demonized and they want to make their reaching out in love and tolerance and and all these you know wonderful uh, emotions and passions and make sure that they don't hurt people's feelings because they want to be seen as 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 an organization or an institution of love and caring and understanding and it they sacrifice truth on that altar let's talk more about truth when we come back on the other side Uh, we are visiting with dorothy logan Uh, Her book is The Unraveling, and it's the American Fabric Undone. Fabulous cover as well, Dorothy. I love it. Uh, This is really a great read, Um, and and it's simple. Uh, You've done a really good job of of getting this down where the everyday person that really maybe don't have a whole lot of knowledge on this stuff can really understand it, because I did. So I know others will as well. All right, let's take a break. It's Priority Talk Radio right here on uh, Truth 101, WXJC. And our Priority Talk podcast. So we hope you'll stay with us. Uh, more with Dorothy Logan in just a moment. Are you tired of dirt and grime ruining the beauty of your home's exterior? Ew! Look no further. Introducing A Plus Soft Wash, your go to exterior cleaning business. A Plus Soft Wash is owned and operated by Isaac Adams, a dedicated first responder with a heart for service. He'll go the extra mile to keep your property pristine. From clogged gutters to dirty roofs, A-Plus Soft Wash has you covered. Isaac will meticulously clean your gutters, roofs, soft wash siding, clean concrete, and more, leaving your home looking brand new. Isaac is insured, reliable, efficient, and his attention to detail is unbeatable. Trust A-Plus Soft Wash to restore your home's curb appeal. Call Isaac at 256 960 0474 for a free estimate today. That's 256 960 0474. Also, make sure to follow the A Plus Soft Wash Facebook page for exciting offers and updates. A Plus Soft Wash, your satisfaction is our top priority. 
A-plus soft wash serves the general Coleman and surrounding areas. Terms and conditions apply. Call for details. Make your home shine with A-plus soft wash today. And now, back to Priority Talk with Greg Davis. My life be like, And welcome back in. Greg Davis here. Dorothy Logan, our guest on Priority Talk. The Unraveling, the American Fabric Undone. And uh, she's just done a really good job here of, uh, of sharing what she sees happening in America and in Western civilization in general. And uh, we, I find a lot of points of, uh, of agreement in her book. In fact, I haven't found anything yet that I disagreed with whatsoever. Uh, and um, I, I love what you've done here, uh, Dorothy. And, and people can go to freedomacademy-dorothy.com, and we'll have all that linked up in our show notes and social media and stuff as well. So uh, if you want to find that, uh, head back uh, on this date, and you can find it there at our website. Uh, right before we went to uh, break, you mentioned uh, just that word truth came up. And and I think, um, you know, th- that's ultimately maybe the, the biggest breakdown that's caused a lot of these other back breakdowns is uh, is this that what, what you call, uh, uh, tr- uh, you, you say truth is innately true. Uh, and then you tie that in with natural law, and that's really what's been under attack, correct? Absolutely. I mean, it's for, for people who don't understand. And the first part of the book really is, I call it a primer. And so I do try to make it simple so people can understand. Mm-hmm. But essentially natural law is, you know, it reflects the obvious. Things that we know are true without even having to think about them. And and it's being attacked um, in everywhere. And I think they, the arguments made against truth they do it by attacking reality, right? We, we change our language, we reverse the natural order. Not, again, not you and I, but the people who are sure. intent on destroying, on destroying our country. Um, the obvious has become obscene, that's a phrase I use a lot too, but you know, good has become evil and evil good. And all of that is under attack because nature's law comes from nature's God. And there's been a systematic approach, I believe, developed in the modern era to take original sin to its completion and once and for all put humans in the place of God. And they can only do that if they reverse that natural order. Well, that's exactly right. We set ourselves up to be God. And, uh, you know, we we worship self. Uh, And I think chapter 9 you mentioned in the book, uh, uh, words matter, I think uh, is just, well, it's literally the center, but I think it's the, uh, the centerpiece of the whole topic uh, here, words matter. And uh, nowadays, you, it seems like you don't know what anything means anymore. Everything's changing. And really the left, the, uh, you know, the Marxist, socialist, atheist, it's all the same bunch. They're really good at, uh, at, at, at using the language, confusing the language, uh, and, and using it uh, to, their, uh, to their favor. And we're just not very good at it. Uh, we, we seem to just buy their definitions of words so quickly and just move right into it. Uh, talk to us about the words, and you say they matter. Words matter at every single level, right? Meaning, we can't have shared meaning. We can't have shared values unless we have shared meaning. We can't have shared meaning if we don't have agreed-upon definitions. So right at the definition level, you know, words matter. The definitions matter. Uh, also, context matters, and, and how we place the narrative together matters. Uh, also, our idea of shared understanding comes 
directly from the Bible in all of Western civilization, because even though in America we have an American language, we're out of many one, right? So, but most of our shared understanding comes from a Western idea and shared meaning that comes directly from the Bible. But this, this, they're actually, uh, I actually saw a, an article about how they're upset that we're using their words against them now. Right? They don't want to use the word woke anymore because we've kind of usurped it. And, and the idea that we, we could go on and on about how they are changing definitions. And I love even the, go way, the way back machine because you can go back and you can see what Merriam-Webster changed the definition of this yep. word if you go back where yep. kind of thing. But it, I think context matters too they're very good at manipulating the language to twist it just a li- just enough for to further their idea and to reject the original meaning for example putting the word phobia on the end of anything mm-hmm. they disagree with because um you know you attach you attach this idea of hate and fear to something and then also mental illness right so they're really throwing that on anyone who disagrees with them they'll just throw the word phobia on the end of it and change the whole reverse the entire meaning of of what that word means but i'm sure listeners and you could come up with so many different words where they just let's just change the meaning to make it mean what we want it to not only that like equity replacing equity and equality equity. yeah and then and then making equality the definition based upon their their goal of equity, which again they've usurped and they've manipulated and redirected to make it sound bad. Equality is now bad. You're exact. That was exactly the example I was going to give. And in marriage, you talk a lot about that. And, and yeah. you know, before we knew what a marriage was. Now you don't know any longer. What what does that even mean? They totally hijacked the word. I mean, if you wanted to have same sex, you needed a different word. That's not marriage. It, it can right. be something if you want it to be, but it's not marriage. Marriage had a definition, and uh, but the definition is no longer. Uh, I, I tell you one, I don't know if you address it in the book or not, is uh, is this gender affirming. Um, oh. what, what they are doing, what they mean by that is exactly the opposite of gender opposite. affirming. It's, it's the exact exactly. opposite. They're, they don't want exactly. they don't want to affirm the gender. They want to non-affirm their gender so yeah. and, and change it. Uh, do you, I don't know if you address that one in the book or not, do you? I don't because it wasn't to me when I was writing this that wasn't even it's moving so quickly now right and and but that is it's a very good example and they just keep they just keep giving us um, they keep manipulating and twisting our our, our, the words and we have to be very attuned to what truth really is we have to be very uh, what's the word um, aware hyper vigilant vigilant we have to be very vigilant about what they're doing yeah, uh, Dorothy Logan, our guest, the unraveling. Dorothy, do you are there just a, talking about words? Still, I'm hanging up here. Uh, do you th- are there just a group of really uh, smart but maybe evil people sitting around in rooms coming up with different uh, ways to, to to shift the language? Or how how does this happen? Because it all seems like it comes from somewhere, and ultimately we know where it comes from. But how is it uh, how's it coming through to uh, to all of our consciousness? I do believe that there is a push. Again, we can go back to academia, but the example I use about marriage, um, homosexuality in the book, is that there was a plan, and they implemented the plan brilliantly, and now they're using that again as a template to promote 
different ideas. And, and I would say, yes, this does impact how they've chosen to define words and use them and then produce a narrative out of their vocabulary and out of their context that seems indisputable and difficult to argue with. Although, again, I did see that article. They're not happy that we're learning. People well, that disagree with them are learning to argue using their own words. Yeah, we're, we're doing a little better. But, I mean, yeah. all of us can relate. How many times have you just heard something and you went, what is that? And then, uh, but a year from now, you you have totally adopted the word, yes. the language, and the definition yourself. Even though you don't agree with it, you've still adopted it and use it. Uh, it it's 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 mind boggling. It it really is. Um, uh, Dorothy Logan, our guest, um, talk to us about the the subtitle of your book is uh, the American Fabric Undone. Uh, it's the unraveling. And uh, you say the unraveling, this ties into what we're talking about, seems to be by design. Uh, it, how much of it do you believe is by design, really? I mean, what, there, I, I see playbooks and they run them. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I don't believe in this big, huge conspiracy theory where all the great minds are coming together on it. I do believe that every, a vast majority of people, not a vast majority of people, but People buy into it without knowing, right? A lot of it, and then it, it perpetuates itself. It feeds on itself. However, it is by design. You look at that word progress, progressive. They want, as long as we're going in a certain direction, we're going in the right direction. And there are people pushing that through movements, and there are influential people pushing it with money, with leadership, uh, with in the media, again, people who believe they might be doing the, the just and um, pursuing justice and and using, again, like social justice isn't justice at all if you, if you get down to the nitty-gritty of it. But they really believe that they're doing the virtuous thing, that they're doing what's good for the, the, the common, for the general welfare. And I, I do believe there's good-hearted people involved who are perpetuating it. But there are pushes, yeah. and it starts right now it's sort of being an elementary school. You know, it used to start maybe um, in in acad- in the university level, but also it's now for an entire generation or two or three. It's also permeated most of, if not all, of the media as well: movies, TV, news, entertainment, social media, definitely. Well, that's exactly right. You mentioned this term that you you use you use it in the book over and over, and uh, you've got a chapter on it actually. And I love the term. When I first saw it, I, I circled it and marked it. The obvious has turned obscene. Talk to us about it. Right. So when we talk about natural law, I just said it's what we know to be true. It's just it's obvious. <laughs> There's no disputing it. And now, if you claim to know something that just is obvious, common sense, or just water is wet. I mean, you could take any other, everything's become political, everything's become a controversy. And they, they say, if you believe in an absolute truth, if you believe that there is something that is innately true, you are the bigot, and you are the one who is misunderstanding the world, and you are the one who is turning truth on its head. And so this is the narrative, this is the progress that we've made. That if you actually believe in truth, you are the evil one. If you believe in absolutes, you are the intolerant one. If you believe that there is an ordered framework to the universe that we can all depend on, then you are a hater. <laughs> it just becomes so everything that used to be obvious 
due to shared meaning and natural law and understanding of natural law has now been turned on its head to be called the worst of the worst. As I said, good has become evil, evil has become good, obvious has become obscene. Yeah. Uh, We're visiting with Dorothy Logan. Uh, We're going to take a break. Dorothy, if you've got time for one more segment, do you? I'd love to just finish out with you. Okay, that's wonderful. Uh, I'm enjoying this. The Unraveling is her book. You can go to freedomacademy-dorothy.com. And you can find all that at our website as well under our show notes. And we'll have it at our social medias as well. Uh, This full conversation will be at our podcast. If you're just joining us, you really want to go back and listen from the beginning. It's um, Dorothy, and uh, we're uh, just having a great conversation. Dorothy Logan, The Unraveling. Hang on, and we'll be right back with one more segment. Priority Talk. Marketing can be overwhelming. The marketing landscape is full of holes to lose your money. Stop trying to piece your marketing together. Start marketing with a purpose. Dot Edison Marketing is your full-service marketing partner. They are your business's outsourced marketing team. Call them at 205-332-3728 or go to their website at dotedison.com. Hey, everybody, this is Kurt Cameron, and you're listening to Greg Davis on Priority Talk. And it's our final moments here with Dorothy Logan. She's written a wonderful book called The Unraveling. It's got a, a, a white cover with a red, white, and blue cord, I would call her a rope that uh, has unraveled. And uh, the subtotal is The American Fabric Undone. I, I love the, uh, the cover, Dorothy. I mentioned it earlier, but I, that, makes, that could make a book. Boy, I tell you what, uh, was, that, was that your vision for it or, or someone else yeah. see the book? Oh, that's wonderful. I, uh, I, it really, it's an attention getter. If, if, if somebody sees it on a shelf somewhere or even on a website, it's going to grab their uh, attention. Okay. So uh, that's, folks, you'll know you got the right book when you see the right cover. Uh, okay, let's jump back into the conversation here and, uh, and talk about uh, uh, re- really just freedom, I guess, is, is really the core of your message, isn't it? Freedom and, and, and living by principle. Yes, I, I believe we live in an age where uh, especially young people, they don't even know that they're, they're not thinking, that they're only feeling, and they're making decisions based on feeling, and they're behaving according to their emotions in the moment, like their lower self. And I think that living by principle is so much easier. I think it gives you a, a framework against which to measure your opinions and your behavior and your decisions. And so I, I always say that I live according to two sets of principles, my freedom principles and my faith principles. And I, I believe that, again, it's just, it's, it makes life easier and you don't have to second guess everything and wonder if you're doing the right thing um, or if, you know, these emotions are, are valid or not based in your deciding your behavior based on your emotions. I, I just love, I want to give the message out there. We need to start living um, according to principle instead of passion. And yeah. that's hard in a society that's really focused on if it feels good do it if you know if it's right for you do it uh if it's if if you know your feelings matter your feelings are more important than your anyone else's feelings and that's kind of the society we live in now well you're absolutely right and you you took the word i was just about to say 
if it feels good, do it. I know that sounds like something from a few decades ago as a bumper sticker or something, but truly people uh, to a great degree do still live that way uh, and, and t- until um, they're fine with that until uh, you're feeling good uh, makes them not feel good and, and then you got a problem so uh, people that believe in that don't really believe in it uh, when, when applied across uh, all people in all places they don't they don't really believe in it they just uh, they do in the moment though you're right then that that's a passion uh, you you write about in the book the unraveling uh, about the border and, uh, and and how much of an issue this is for all of these issues we're talking about, just having literally an open border. Uh, talk to us about the border and how it ties into so many of these, uh, uh, um, you know, topics that we've already discussed. Right. So the second part of the book, I talk about these two pillars that hold up civilization, which are language and um, shared values, shared values and, and language, or we could say religion. But uh, so when we think about an open border, how does it how is it attacked? Because if you take out one of those pillars, it's going to knock out the other one. It's going civilization is going to come on balance, and it's just going to come apart. Society is going to fall apart. And I know I mix my metaphors quite a bit in the book, but um, when we think about the open when we think about the open border, people might say, "Oh yeah, language, common language, it's, it's obvious, right?" So of course, the open border is, is an attack on language, but it's actually an attack on American values and our shared American values, because American values include things like rule of law or equality under the law. And the first thing that happens with an open border and the idea of illegal immigration or migrants, undocumented workers, they're breaking the law. So it immediately undermines that value. Um, Also, it undermines national security. And there's like so many things we could talk about there. Um, we're a sovereign nation. We should be able to secure our nation against whatever, whether it be human trafficking, uh, arms trafficking, drug trafficking. You know, so there's there's that as well. This idea of of national security, but it also serves to undermine the very beacon of light that we're supposed to be to the rest of the world, because. These open borders encourage and actually lead to extinguishing the hopes and dreams of the people who are uh, uh, that are seeking something better in the United States. Um, we, we see it enslaving a lot of people, or at least promoting disillusionment, and so it's undermining even that very fundamental value of this is where people want to be. And and I also think it's destructive because we. Um, by not again, not you and me, but by reframing the narrative, right? That having open borders is the virtuous policy. Yeah. Um, again, they're turning natural law on its head, and they're able to do this, and then call anyone who is for national security, for rule of law, for um, equality under the law, for human um, the value of intrinsic value of human life for these people that are being discarded by coyotes and the like by reframing that as the hateful policy well again we're turning natural law on its head and um even though what we're, we really want to do is is preserve human life preserve security preserve rule of law and so both pillars are cracked and damaged by this de facto open border policy and, and I do want to throw in there, too, because I also have a passion for um, jihad, uh, jihadism and talking about is, Islamism, political Islam. Uh, but 
these also promoting a de facto open border policy actually provides comfort to the enemy, to those who say they want to destroy the nation, to those who are very clear about it, like terrorists who find it a lot easier to get through, set up jihadi training camps for children that they've trafficked, which we've found more than one of those within the borders of the United Mm -hmm. States. Sure have, sure have. You're right. Dorothy Logan, The Unraveling. Uh, We're talking about the American fabric undone. And, uh, you know, I People talk about the border, and they talk about just complete incompetence uh, by those who advocate for open borders, who allow that to happen. Not talking about the people working at the border, the agents. They're, they're, they're totally uh, uh, being done wrong. But for those at higher levels who advocate for open right. borders, people say it's incompetence. I say, no, they're very competent. They're doing exactly what they want to do, uh, which is destroy the nation. Do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, it is that old argument, if you leave the gate open, the cow will wander off. So if you intentionally leave the gate open, you want the cow to wander off. And so, yes, the people who are actually in charge, not the border agents, not the people who are doing their job and doing the best they can with the resources available to them and the policies available to them, but those who actually are seeking to destroy the nation are creating the policy that's making it possible. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about Christianity and our moments here left um an attack on christianity uh, in our country you know religious religious liberty uh which really is only attack on christianity basically um uh is christianity and the return to to really living the values of christianity and personal relationship with god through jesus christ the, the changed lives the transformation that comes um is there any other hope for our nation but that at this point no, <laughs> I, it's, because it is the foundation of that fabric. That is the foundational fabric, and there's so many reasons why. Uh, we, you know, I, I touched on it earlier about how it the, the West was shaped by Christianity that gives us shared meaning. So even if you aren't a Christian, right, this the foundation, the Christian foundation of the fabric of this country is very important. So we must destroy it. So if destroying it, destroying Christianity is the one sure way to destroy this country, of course, the only way to weave these threads back into something recognizable would be to, again, engage in um, Christian values. I love how you say you, you, and encourage or inspire Christian values, and I, mm-hmm. and I love that about you, because we need more of that. Um, we need to reconnect with what those values really are, why they're important, and how to live them out in our lives, and really the only way is to do that is to have that personal relationship and to have that form our, the core of who we are. Which which tells us that really uh, the only hope for our nation, of course, is, is a return to God, uh, Jehovah, yeah. Uh, and, and and the church is his means of doing that. Uh, it it, the, it rides on the church, and uh, the church is we we've got to get it together. The the people of God united. Uh, we've got to get it together. Uh, in the book, you you do you know you do, and we've done it here. We've defined a lot of the problems and where we went wrong and how things have have unraveled, as you say. I think that's a just a genius statement uh, the unraveling you know we, we all try to describe what we see happening in our nation we all know there's a problem in our state and our communities we see it and i just think the unraveling is just just a genius way of saying it uh, so congratulations on that because that, that is such yeah. a powerful picture and word picture 
but you're hopeful as well, uh, and, and you give ideas of change. Uh, take a few minutes and, and, and tell people if they get the book. Uh, you, you give you give some some positive steps as well. Well, yeah, you have to wait to get to the end. I have to I have to drag you through some unhopeful things <laughs> so you appreciate yeah. you appreciate the solutions if there, if there are any, right? Um, I think, and I you know you know there's a whole chapter on that. What can we do? And we can talk about. Um, you know, taking responsibility, individual responsibility, and, and, you know, because it's on the same side of or the opposite, the same, the other side of the same point of individual liberty. However, I think um, when, you know, we, again, live according to principles, not passion, replace disdain with compassion. And instead of the needing to be right, I think we should try to be curious instead of seeking the power to demonstrate we are right, we should um, instead focus on living right. And for Christians, we need to remember that our identity and who we are is in Christ. And if it was not for Christ, we would be living just like those who are so desperate to meet and, and just scrambling to be on the winning side. And, and because of that, if it weren't for the Spirit, that's where we would be, too. So I think we need to learn to lean into the Holy Spirit. And I like to say that my measuring stick is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Not to mention, against such things, there is no law. That is exactly right, and we've—I <laughs> can't tell you how many times those exact have been mentioned exactly as you said. And against such, there are no laws. And uh, you know, a uh, a moral people, a religious people—you you say it—require less government. And uh, the more immoral we become, the less religious or Christianity Christian that we become, the more government we need. And government will be our God. And we're way down the road right now, aren't we? very far down the road. I think, even you know, we, we talk about a secular society, and, and we actually hold that up as as the end-all, be-all, as, as, as Americans now, and the West in general as well. We're no, we no longer consider this Christendom, for, for sure, um, and we do, again, we look to the government to solve our problems, to be our savior in every circumstance. When, if we are a religious and moral people, you know, we do require, we don't need help from the government. Not only um, do we not need the government to tell us what our problems are or be our savior, or we already have a savior. We don't need the government to step in. That's right. um, but we have, if, if we, as, as a religious and moral people, we have shared meaning, and thus we can tackle our own problems or we can look to the only Savior, really, to come in and work in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds so they can be transformed um, to a place where we can live a life outside the need for any government interference. I mean, we take—people of faith take morality seriously, um, but and I think this gets left out of the conversation, again, out of good-heartedness or—but— Morality includes ideas like freedom. It is it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. And yep. so the, this idea of a moral equality of the people, um, but we also we also will promote 
um, those other, if we lean into the spirit and we live that way, we don't need to be told not to lie and not That's to right. cheat and not, uh, not, not to, not to steal, thing. not to break in. You know, you, yeah. you don't, you don't even need yeah. as many policemen, uh, because people aren't committing as many, uh, immoral, uh, criminal acts. Uh, you're, you're so right. Well, Dorothy, I've got to let it go right there. We're out of time. Um, but boy, thank you. Thank you for a great conversation and a wonderful book. I, I really want to encourage our listeners uh, to find this book, freedomacademy-dorothy.com. We'll take you directly there. The Unraveling, The American Fabric Undone. And if you're out driving around and miss this, it's at our website, prioritytalkradio.com. And if you missed the earlier parts of this conversation this hour, uh, you can find it on our podcast there at the site or on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Dorothy Logan, God bless you. We'll look forward to having you back on. I, I think uh, I think we're on the uh, thinking in the same direction, and, and it's good to be able to bounce these ideas off one another with someone who's thought them through so thoroughly. So I appreciate your time, ma'am. Thank you. It's been fun. Yeah, God bless you. All right. God bless you. So I'm going